Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, and today's show is pre-recorded. I'm off in New Orleans at the Mardi Gras having a good time, but that doesn't mean you're not going to have a good full automotive hour today. Hey, what I did is I put together topics that I thought would really be interesting and probably save you a whole lot of money. And, of course, just because today's show is pre-recorded doesn't mean you can't get your questions answered. You sure can. Just get on the website. That's www.agcoauto.com. That's agcoauto.com. If you look, you'll see a contact button. If you push that button, it'll take you right straight to my email. Just go ahead and fire off an email with your question, and I'll get an answer back within 24 hours. Hey, even at Mardi Gras, I'll still answer my automotive hour questions. And that is one thing that I really don't mind at all. I've had people tell me, I hate to bother you when you're on vacation. Don't worry about that at all, because that's something I really enjoy. Not only that, but it gives me a lot of real good information that I use to improve the website. So go ahead and fire off a question to me. I'll get an answer right straight back to you. Now, while you're on that website, there's tons of other things. The question section is probably one of the most popular sections, along with the detailed topic section. But it's sure not the only thing on there you can do. There's just tons of things. For instance, you can download the Automotive Hour. Not only this week's show, but if you're registered, you can actually download previous shows, maybe two or three months' worth of them. The advantage there is also that not only are those digitally mastered, so they're a little clearer than you may get on your radio, but all the commercials have been taken out, which is another big benefit. When I say all the commercials, of course, we still keep an Agco commercial between each section, but you can fast-forward right through that if you want to. So you can go on, download the show, listen to it anytime you like. If you got an iPod or MP3 player, you can also download it to there and listen whenever you like. And we find that more and more people are doing that, and that is something we really like. We've got people from pretty much all over the world who are downloading the show now, and that's something I take as a high compliment, the fact that people would actually take their time to listen to our automotive hour. I really appreciate that. Also, lots of other good things you can do. For instance, there's a photo gallery that will show you a behind-the-scenes look at Agco Automotive. And as you can see, one of the pretty much one of the most modern, up-to-date shops in the United States Shows you all of the views from within our bays and such as that. Shows you our classroom where we teach our auto awareness class and we also use for personal training. And also they have the history and evolution of Agco. You can go all the way back to 1974 in the one bay garage where it all started out. Got pictures of that. Even finally found a picture of the shop on Plank Road from way back in the early 70s. Pictures of the shop on North Foster that we built in 1979, and of course, lots and lots of photos of the current shop, along with some of our previous logos we've used, and just all sorts of stuff from the history and evolution of Agco. Something that's a lot of fun. Why don't you pop on and see what you think? It's www.agcoauto.com. That stands, of course, for Altazan's Garage Company. Hop on there and see what you think. I think you'll really enjoy it. One of our main goals at Agco Automotive is trying to save folks money. Now, that may seem strange for an auto repair shop to be trying to save people money on auto repairs. But the fact is this. We like doing maintenance probably more than we do auto repair. The reason being is I can do maintenance on folks' cars, save them money. They are far more likely to return for additional maintenance and other things they need. Plus, they're way more likely to tell their friends and neighbors about us. So our business grows and grows. We make just as much money doing maintenance and preventing repairs and we just keep growing and helping people. It's just a whole lot easier to prevent problems than to have to tell people they've got a major problem. And that may seem strange, but that's just kind of the way we do it. And it's worked real well for us over the last 35 years. Now, there's certain things that I like to call fallacies. These are things that people believe are true that really are not true at all that ends up costing them just a whole lot of money. What I'd like to do today in the three sections of the program 
is to address three of the main fallacies that we see quite a bit that cost people quite a bit of money. The first one is, if the vehicle is running well, you should just leave it alone. You shouldn't do anything to it if you don't have any symptoms. The second one is, if a transmission hasn't been serviced for 100,000 miles or more, you really shouldn't service it because you may have a problem. And the third one is, a car with a good battery and a good alternator is not ever going to leave you stranded. The battery's not ever going to go dead. And I'm going to talk a whole lot about that and why a lot of folks are still having problems with their batteries, even though their alternator and the batteries they're buying are real good. So we think you'll really enjoy it. Lots of good information. Let's get started. Now, several times on past programs, I've mentioned that the definition of maintenance is something that you spend a little bit of money on to prevent something that would cost you a whole lot of money had you not prevented it. And that's really what AGCO is all about. That's why we have an entire category on our website just on vehicle maintenance. I just can't say that enough. In past times, I guess years ago, cars used to exhibit symptoms when they had a problem. For instance, one of the main things you would notice is after you drove about 12 to 15,000 miles, the car would start to idle rough, the fuel mileage would start to drop off, and the performance would go down. And that's when you know you needed a tune-up. And you'd take it into the shop, and they'd change the points and the plugs and the condenser, and the car would run fine again. That was the old tune-up. Well, today we don't have tune-ups anymore. That term is sort of obsolete. However, cars still have components in the ignition system that do wear out. Now, the good news is, on most vehicles, that time frame is way, way vastly extended from where it used to be. For instance, 10 to 12,000 miles, a set of spark plugs are worn completely out. With new Iridium plugs in some of the vehicles today, they can go 100,000 miles fairly easy. And they also use platinum plugs and copper plugs. Now, why do they use three different kinds of plugs? The reason is that certain engines have aluminum cylinder head, and they really don't want that plug to remain in that head for the 100,000 miles that an Iridium plug might last. The reason being, carbon starts to build up around the plug, and it can actually seize up in the head and ruin the cylinder head, which would be a major problem. Now, some of you Toyotas will still have resistor plugs in them. Those have to be changed every 30,000 miles. The same thing with some of your Chrysler products, particularly the Chrysler Hemi engine. It has 16 spark plugs in it, and they need to be changed every 30,000 miles because they're simply a copper resistor plug. They're not going to last 100,000 miles. You can see that in your owner's manual. It'll tell you to replace them every 30,000, and that's real important. Now, the point is this. If the plug is not misfiring and the mileage is good and it's idling fine, why in the world do you want to go spend money to change them? And the answer is just this. The modern computer-run engine has sensors on it that detects the speed of that engine. And not only does it know the overall speed of the engine, but it can actually detect that the engine is slowing down slightly on the compression stroke and speeding up slightly on the power stroke because that's exactly what it's supposed to do. Not only that, it knows exactly how much it's supposed to speed up on the power stroke. So by using that, it can actually monitor the performance of the engine. Now, when the spark plugs start to wear, the gap erodes away. When that happens, it becomes harder for the spark to jump it. The spark becomes weaker, so the engine doesn't run as well. In the old days, that's when it would start idling rough and the mileage would fall off. However, with the wonders of computers, what they do now is that when it detects that beginning to happen, it merely increases the burn time on the coils. Now, what does that mean? The coils are not like the old days where you had a breaker point. Now a computer actually sends a signal to a coil. Normally there's as many as there are cylinders on the engine, and the coil fires directly into the spark plug. 
Now the advantage there is by increasing the duty cycle on the call, it can put more fire to the plugs. So a worn plug will fire almost as well as an unworn plug. Well, if it fires as well, why worry about it, right? Well, this is the kicker. Those coils have a duty cycle on them. In other words, they're supposed to be on a certain amount of time. Then they have to cool down and recharge for the next cycle. Now, when you're running 2,000 RPM, those things are firing about 2,000 times a minute. So they don't have a whole lot of time to cool down. When you start increasing the duty cycle on them tremendously because of a worn plug, what they do is they overheat. When they overheat, like any electrical component that overheats, it burns up. So what you've done is you still have to change the plugs because they're worn out, but now you can burn up one, two, three, up to eight, maybe even ten if you have a ten-cylinder engine, ignition coils. Ignition coils can be pretty expensive. The cheap ones generally run in the $50 range, all the way up to the expensive ones, which can run up to $150 each. Now, if you think $150 times 10, you're getting some pretty serious money pretty quick. So that's one reason why you want to replace the spark plugs before you have a symptom. Reason being, the first symptom is probably going to be a check engine light popping on and maybe the vehicle getting pulled in on the wrecker. That's the first symptom you're going to get. Now, the computer can just sit there and keep on increasing that burn time, increasing the burn time. It can also add to the pulse width of the injector. So it just gives it a little more gas, gives it a little more fire, just to keep it running well. That's what it's designed to do. It's designed to isolate the driver from the symptoms. They don't want you to feel symptoms because they want the car to run really good. And that's a great feature. But that's also why they give you a certain time beyond which you should not push the vehicle. Because if you do, even though you don't feel the symptoms, you are causing damage to the car or truck in that matter. Now, another item that's a, just exactly like that, and that's a fuel filter. Fuel filters plug up over time just by doing their job. That's what they're supposed to do. They're removing contaminants from your fuel. Now, when they remove these contaminants, they hold them in a filter element. Eventually, the filter element will become plugged up and it'll start to restrict the fuel flow. Now, when that happens, fuel pump works a lot harder to push the fuel through it to deliver adequate pressure to the injectors. So the car will generally still run pretty well. But the thing is, the pump is exceeding its duty cycle. What will happen if you don't replace your fuel filter in a timely enough manner, you can actually end up burning up a fuel pump. Now, fuel filters generally cost in the range of 10 to 30 or $40, depending on what type of design you have. The labor to change them is, again, from about $20 to $50, depending on where it's at, as long as it's not inside the fuel tank. We'll talk about that in just a second. So for just a little bit of money, maybe $60, $70 at most, you can change that fuel filter, and you can protect the fuel pump. Now, fuel pumps can easily cost five, six, seven dollars $700 or more. Plus, most of them are located inside the fuel tank, which means you have all the labor to drop the fuel tank. So you can change the fuel filter for very low cost, and you can prevent burning up a fuel pump. Most manufacturers recommend around 40 to 50,000 miles on a fuel filter, and if you use less than great gas, sometimes even more than that is better. If you change it around 30,000, you're probably not ever going to have a problem. Now, in late days, what's come about is the manufacturers started putting the fuel filters inside the gas tank, which I think is a major, major problem on their part. The reason they do that is because it's less expensive for them. They can order a fuel tank assembly with the pump and the filter already inside the tank. So it's one less step on the assembly line for them. However, the filters can't be replaced, or at least can't be replaced easily. The Toyota ones, you can actually buy a fuel filter and replace it, same as Nissan. 
but on your GM products, they don't sell the fuel filter. It's part of the fuel pump. So the only thing you can do is wait for the fuel pump to die and then replace it as an assembly. I think it's sort of a boneheaded design, but, hey, we just don't make those decisions. But if your car has a replaceable fuel filter, you want to make sure you do replace that. Save yourself some big bucks. Another thing that falls right along those same line is engine coolant. The coolant or antifreeze will degrade over time and really doesn't have so much to do with miles as it does with time. For instance, it's a chemical reaction. It's occurring 24-7. So let's say you drive your car only 15,000 miles in the first three or four years. That coolant is still 100% depleted because the time has gone by. Now, when coolant depletes, it starts becoming acidic. The pH on it will actually fall. There is new coolant. The pH will be up around 9. It's alkaline. It's built with reserve alkalinity because they know everything in the combustion process is going to make it turn acidic. So they build in some reserve alkalinity. Now, once that coolant reaches 7, which is neutral, all the reserved alkalinity has been used up. Now, it may still protect the engine from freezing, and that's great, but corrosion starts to happen because now we have an acidic liquid which starts attacking the aluminum and the iron and the steel inside the motor. You can do an untold amount of damage by allowing that coolant to go on. So if the manufacturer recommends five years, he really doesn't mean five years in one day. He means five years, and that is the absolute outside. Now, another thing on that, the five years that the manufacturers recommend in some cases is on the initial fill with fresh factory fluid in a fresh engine. After the first change, most of those revert down to three-year intervals just because everything is not new in the car. So you want to change that coolant. I like to change mine every three years. I don't ever push it beyond that because the cost can be astronomical, and the cost of changing it is just real inexpensive. One other thing right along those same lines, and that's differential oil on a rear-wheel drive vehicle. On cars or trucks with rear-wheel drive, there's oil inside the rear differential. That oil breaks down in time and needs to be changed. Most manufacturers say around 100,000 miles, much sooner if you're towing. For instance, if you're towing with a Chevrolet or a Dodge, I think they recommend closer to 15 to 20,000 miles because it all breaks down sooner because of the heat generated in towing. So we're going to talk a whole lot more about maintenance and everything else as soon as we get back from this break. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Yeah! Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Call her what you want to know. Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into ICO for regular maintenance, and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you 
to join us. It's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan. And while today's show is pre-recorded, you can still reach me by going to the website. That's www.agcoauto.com. Just hit that contact button, send me an email, and I'll get an answer back to you, I guarantee you, within 24 hours. Hey, today's show, we're talking about ways to save money. And just before the break, we were talking in particular about why do something to your car if it's running just fine and you're not having a problem? The answer, of course, is to save more money down the road. And that goes right to the heart of what I like to call fallacies about vehicles. Things that folks believe are true that really aren't true that actually end up costing them just a whole lot of money. Now, one of the other things that I'd like to talk to you about before we move on to our next topic, and that is the timing belt on your car. Now, not all vehicles have timing belts. Some of them have timing chains and that doesn't apply. However, millions of vehicles on the road today do have timing belts. A timing belt is a rubber belt that's inside of the motor and it hooks to the crankshaft and goes up and turns the camshaft or camshafts if it's a double overhead cam engine. Now what happens when the camshafts turn, the valves go up and down and they have to stay in precise timing with the pistons of the engine because the pistons going up and down the same as the valve is going in and out. If the timing belt strips or breaks, or slips. The valves will hit the pistons on many engines and when that happens it's going to absolutely ruin the engine. It looks like a grenade went off inside of it. It's one of those things that you really want to prevent. Now most manufacturers will give you a recommended interval to change that belt and that varies anywhere from 60,000 up to 105,000 or more miles. However, and this is the kicker, most manufacturers, in fact all that I can think of, also recommend don't ever go longer than seven years on the vehicle. Reason being is because it's a rubber belt and rubber is of course going to degrade over time. It's going to start to dry rot, break down and lose strength. When the belt breaks, again, you know exactly what's going to happen. Now, seven years can slip by on you really, really quick, particularly if you don't drive the car a whole lot. For instance, just last week we had a gentleman come in with a Lexus. The car was a 99 model, which means it's 11 years old. However, it only had 30,000 miles on it. Luckily, the timing belt hadn't broken yet. However, it may break at any time because that belt is way, way past due. So just do the math. If the car is a 2003 or older and the timing belt has not been replaced, you are past due and you're on borrowed time. Now, there's a whole section on the website, a detailed topic called All About Timing Belts. And timing belts are something that's sort of spooky and mysterious. They are kind of expensive to replace, particularly if you do a complete job. And that's the next point. There are folks who will do what they call, or what I call, a belt slap. That is, they just put a new belt on it and give you the car back. Now, when you're in and your car is seven years or more older and has 100,000 miles, the water pump is right there. Now, water pumps don't last life of the car. They generally last 120,000 miles or so. The point is, you've already spent all the labor to get to it why not change the water pump while you're there and avoid having to come back next year and do the whole job over again. There's also some seals, camshaft seals, crankshaft seals, oil pump seals. There may be a balance shaft belt depending on what kind of engine you have and several other little components. For instance, some idler pulleys and roller pulleys that are under the timing cover. The point is all of these components can be changed at relatively low cost compared to having to come back and do the whole job over again. Even worse, if one of those seals starts to leak and leaks all over your brand new timing belt, you may be doing the complete job over again. So don't be penny wise and dollar foolish. Consult with someone that you know and trust. 
and I think trust is a big, big factor here. Let them advise you on how to do the job. Once it's done, you're good for another seven years or 105000 or whatever the manufacturer recommends. So it's not something you want to screw up on and have the belt break and give you big trouble because then you've just wasted all the money you've already spent. Now, fallacy number two has to do with automatic transmissions. And it seems like automatic transmissions just have a ton of fallacies that actually surround those. Just lots and lots of things, myths, and things that folks believe or so that really aren't so at all. One of the most common that is also as big a problem as anything, and that is the old myth that if you haven't serviced your transmission in 100,000 miles, it's best to leave it alone because if you service it, it's going to go out. Nothing could be further from the truth. That makes about as much sense as saying, I haven't brushed my teeth in the last six months, so I just won't ever brush them again. Makes no sense whatsoever. The fact is, a proper service can never, ever, ever hurt a transmission and very well may buy you a lot more time than you would have had had you not serviced it. I think where that comes from is probably two or three different places. Number one is, most likely at some point in time, someone rode their car for 100,000 miles, never serviced it, the transmission was going out, they went in and had a service, and it was just too little too late. Of course, the transmission failed anyway. Now, in their mind, it's always, hey, I serviced it and it went out, and that's what caused it. Just not so. The transmission was going to fail anyway. It wasn't the service that made it go out. It was the 100,000 miles without the service that made it go out. Now, that's not always the case. A lot of times we go into a car with 100,000 miles, the filter is partially restricted, but we can replace it, and we have no future problems whatsoever. So that's one of the reasons, I think, why that old legend just persists. Another is if you have an improper service. In other words, someone goes in, they put the filter on wrong, they put the wrong filter on, maybe they knock one of the wires off the solenoid. Perhaps they put the wrong fluid in it, and that can actually cause problems. Again, that's an improper service, and just anything that you do on the car improperly can cause a problem. Of course, that's no reason not to do anything at all. That's more reason to look for someone that you can know and you can trust and you can find the right guy who can do the job properly. That also brings up another topic, which is the transmission flush. I know we've talked about this probably several hundred times on this program, but it's still a very, very common thing. Reason being, it's a very profitable service to the guys who offer it. What they do, rather than dropping the pan on vehicles that have a pan or replaceable filter and replacing the filter, they just take the cooler line loose and they run clean fluid through a dirty transmission. Now that makes no sense at all because you can't clean the filter. A filter on a transmission is made sort of like a sock, whereas the fluid flows in through the neck of the sock, flows out through the sock into the transmission. Any trash and debris is trapped inside the sock. It's built that way intentionally to keep trash from passing through. Now, saying that running clean fluid through a dirty filter is going to clean it makes about as much sense as saying, I'm going to drive my car down a clean road, and that's going to clean my dirty air filter. Obviously, that's just not going to happen. So the big problems with the transmission flush is, number one, they don't address the filter at all. Now, changing the fluid is probably a good idea. However, if you're not going to change the filter, it just makes no sense. It'd be just like changing the oil and not changing the oil filter. The oil filter is probably the bigger problem than the oil because if the filter restricts, it's going to cut the flow to the transmission. Now, transmissions are pretty smart, and there's actually two circuits in a transmission. One is the hydraulic circuit. That's the one that actually makes everything work. It applies the clutches and all that sort of stuff. 
The second circuit is the lube circuit. That's what lubricates the transmission. Because transmission oil is not only a fluid that makes the clutches and all work, it's also the lubricant for the transmission, much like the oil for the engine. Now, this is the kicker. When the flow is restricted, the manufacturer decided that it's more important to keep the vehicle moving. They just don't want to strand you. Because if a transmission goes out and the car quits moving, you could be in harm's way, depending on where you're at. If you're in the middle of the interstate and the car quits pulling, you could have a big, big problem. Or maybe if you're in a bad area of town. So when the fluid becomes restricted, what happens? The computer makes a conscious decision. It knows it doesn't have enough oil to do all the functions that it needs to do. So it will cut the oil to the lubrication circuits and apply it all to the hydraulic circuit. That way the car keeps moving. Of course, just like the engine, when it runs out of oil, you know what happens. The same thing for the transmission. The transmission will basically sacrifice itself to try to keep you moving to prevent other problems. It's just one of those decisions that they made. And if you burn up your transmission, you may think it should have went the other way. But I guess if you broke down the side of a busy interstate, maybe it is a smart thing. Who knows? But that's the way it works. The point is, you don't want a transmission flush. You don't want to run clean fluid through a dirty filter. What you want is someone who is knowledgeable, knows what they're doing, who's going to test drive the car before they start. They're going to put it up, inspect it for any external leaks that could generally be fixed at real low cost at this point in time. It's real easy to fix a leak right now because you're right there. The next thing is they're going to drop the pan. They're going to remove the filter. The best techs are going to actually cut that filter open. The reason being, by doing a little autopsy on the filter, you can see if there's any metal or metal particles. I know a lot of times we can cut a filter open. We may find a piece of a snap ring or a piece of roller bearing inside that filter. Now, that is an absolute giveaway. Big problems are coming. The point is, if you address it right now, you could probably save thousands of dollars over letting the transmission burn up because it still has to be taken out and fixed. But after it tears up all the internal components, cost is going to go way up. Not to mention the fact that it may just leave you stranded. So a good tech is going to cut that old filter open where he knows exactly what's going on. A couple of other things that are real easy to do. One is to retark the valve body bolts. A valve body is sort of the brain of the transmission. That's what controls all the valves and stuff that makes it shift. It applies clutches, it releases clutches, and that's what makes the vehicle shift. Also, some transmissions have bands in them. A band is a literally a band that wraps around a drum that applies, stops the drum, and makes the transmission go and shift. Now, when you're inside, you can retalk those valve body bolts because gaskets do shrink up in time. When they shrink up, you can produce cross leaks, that is, fluid running into places where it shouldn't be, which can cause all sorts of transmission concerns. By retalking those valve body bolts, which is real easy when the pan's off, you may prevent a major breakdown. Another thing, if the transmission has bands, you can adjust the bands. Because the band does wear slightly, and as it wears, the gap between it and the drum that it's trying to control becomes greater. If it starts to slip, it's going to grind up, almost like the brake shoes on your car when they go metal to metal. So that's another real simple repair while you're in there. You can retorque the valve body bolts, and you can readjust the bands on the car. Either one of those can save you a whole lot of money in and of itself, not to mention the fact you're getting a brand new fresh filter on the car. Now, after it's all put back together, the car is filled with the proper transmission fluid. And I just got to say that over and again, because there are literally 20 to 30 different types of transmission fluids on the market today. Each one is specifically designed for a certain type of job and a certain application. 
For instance, Ford has about five or six different fluids. They have Mercon SP, they have Mercon Premium, they have Mercon 5. Each one is a different fluid and it's designed to do a specific job. Toyota has T4, they have WS, which is world standard. Again, different fluids for different applications. Now, generally when they are flushing a transmission, they're running a bunch of this fluid through. They may or may not be running the proper fluid through. They may be running Dexron 3 through it, which is a much cheaper fluid. Because, for instance, Mercon 5 can cost 6 to $7 a quart. They may not want to run that much fluid through a transmission, so you may not even get the proper fluid. So you want to be absolutely sure you got a professional working on the car. He's going to test drive it before he starts. He's going to inspect it for leaks. He's going to retorque the valve body bolts. He's going to adjust bands if it has them in the transmission. He's also going to adjust the linkage on the outside. He may even scan it for codes if he suspects it's a problem. Put it all back together with the proper brand new filter, the proper fluid. Then he'll test drive it again and check the fluid properly. Now that's another big thing. Just checking transmission fluid is real tricky. So much so that I put a detailed topic on my site just on checking fluid. More and more cars are coming without a dipstick like they used to have in the old days. You can't really check it yourself like you used to be able to, so it almost requires a professional to go in and check the fluid. And it is imperative that you get the right amount of fluid back in. So when you get a transmission service, don't worry about how many miles have gone by. Certainly it would have been better had you changed it sooner. Between 30 and 50,000 miles is generally best. And if you don't do that, it's never too late. Sort of like smoking. If you smoke for 20 years, it's better if you'd never smoked at all. But if you quit, you may have a real good, long, healthy life because you're at least taking away the problem. Same thing with your transmission. You want to service it. Don't believe those old rumors and legends about if you're going 100,000 miles, you can't service it. Nothing could be further from the truth. A proper service can never, ever hurt your car. The thing is, you want to make sure you are getting a proper service. Along those lines, you might want to pop on the website. Right on the front page, it says selecting a good shop. And in case you don't live in the Agco service area, of course, if you do, we'd appreciate your business on that. However, if you don't, you might read that article, and it'll point you to someone who will do a proper service on the car for you. Now, while you're on there, you might also want to look up a detailed topic called automatic transmission myths, which also covers or recovers a whole lot of what we just talked about. There's also a topic called transmissions and proper service. And you can find that along with anything else just by going to the little magnifying glass at the bottom of the screen, clicking on that, and type in the word automatic transmission. It'll do a search function of the whole site with the exclusion of the vehicle questions, and it'll bring up the answers for you. We're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. 
Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Well, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. Hey, today's show is pre-recorded. However, you can always get your questions answered by logging on to the website. Just go to the contact button and hit contact us. You send me an email and I'll get an answer back to you within 24 hours. Of course, while you're on, you might want to kind of peruse through the vehicle questions. There's actually three different databases on that site. The first is vehicle questions, which is sort of a short answer to a specific question. It's got its own little search function with that. And if you type in a single word, whatever you're looking for, say if you're looking for something on synthetic oil or all changes, just type in the word all changes. Remember, the less you type in, the more information you're going to get back. And that'll search all of those vehicle questions, get the answer right back to you probably going to find what you're looking for. Now, if you don't, sure go ahead and send me an email. I'll be glad to get you a custom tailored answer. Sometimes I may even seek a link to exactly what it is you're looking for because I know that I'm way more familiar with that site than what most other folks are going to be. Go ahead and check that out. While you're in there, you also might want to look at the detailed topic section because that's just a ton of really good information. For instance, there's articles on all changes, extended all changes, why you don't want to do that. There's articles on all filters, the difference between the different types of all filters, why you're looking for the original equipment manufacturer's all filter, the Ford vehicles that have spark plugs that break off, which ones it is, how you can maybe prevent that big problem, tons of other information. For instance, the yellow headlights. If you've got a fairly late model car and the headlights turning yellow, there's something you can do about that, and you can do it yourself at real low cost. All the details right there in the detailed topic section. Why don't you just pop on and see what you think? It's www.agcoauto.com. That's agcoauto.com. Of course, that stands for Alpazan's Garage Company. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I've never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco. It's the place to go. Now, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. Hey, today's show is pre-recorded. I'm off at the Mardi Gras down in New Orleans having a good time, but... 
I put this show together and I think you'll really like it. Awful lot of good information. Maybe something that could save you a whole lot of money. I posted a detailed topic called Why Batteries Die. That's a topic that we get quite a bit. A lot of questions on and we do quite a bit of work on that at the shop. People who have cars and the battery just doesn't seem to hold up like it used to. Now, years ago, batteries used to last four, even five years. It was pretty common. The average battery today is going to last about 38 months, just over three years. That's one reason why, again and again, we recommend go ahead and replace the battery at three years just to avoid that high-risk period of when your battery may die and leave you stranded. Now, batteries can die for a number of reasons, but one of the most common reasons for a battery to die is called sulfation. What sulfation is, is the plates inside of a battery are made out of lead, but they aren't actually pure lead. The plates on the negative side of the battery are lead, but the plates on the positive side of the battery are lead peroxide. Now, what that does is you have dissimilar metals, and it's sitting in a bath of sulfuric acid electrolyte. When you put dissimilar metals into an acid, you end up with a battery. It releases electron from one plate, they move to the other plate, and the flow is called electricity. That's where the power of the battery comes from. Now, as the battery discharges, what happens is that the sulfur out of the sulfuric acid combines with lead peroxide, turns it into lead sulfate. In other words, the plates actually convert chemically to a different material, lead sulfate. At the same time, the oxygen released out of the plates combines with the sulfuric acid to become H2O, which if you remember your chemistry from high school, is water. The acid actually becomes less acidic. That's when the battery is discharged and no longer produces electricity like it should. Now, if you recharge the battery right away, what happens when you put charge back into it, the sulfur leaves the lead plates, goes back into the electrolyte, becoming sulfuric acid, the plates become lead again, and it starts to produce electricity again. The problem is when a battery is not charged either enough or soon enough, the sulfur will actually cling to the lead. And the longer it stays on, the harder it is to remove. After just a short march of days, it becomes permanently attached. When that happens, the lead no longer contacts the acid because it's being insulated by the sulfur. That's when a battery is sulfated and the battery dies. Now, once that happens, the battery has to be replaced. The key is when a battery discharges to recharge it fully and immediately. And doing that will greatly, greatly extend the life of the battery. Now, the way the whole thing works is this. You've got electrical devices in the car, your headlights, your windshield wipers, your air conditioning, the starter motor, so on and so forth. All of these components draw electricity. The total amount of electricity used is measured in amps, and the total amps used is called the load. For instance, the average car may have a load of 75 amps. That's the total amount of electricity being used. Now, most cars, average cars, again, have an alternator, which is a charging device, capable of producing maybe 100 amps. This is the kicker. That 100 amp rating is at 2,000 RPM. In other words, the faster the alternator turns, the more electricity it produces. And an idle, a 100 amp alternator, may only produce 50 amps. Now, the draw is 75 amps, and if you're sitting there idling, your alternator is putting out 50. That means you have a 25 amp deficit. Where does that come from? Well, it comes out of your battery. The battery makes up the shortfall between what the alternator can produce and the load being drawn by the car. So if the car just sits and idles, it's actually discharging the battery. Now, after a period of time, of course, all the electricity is used up in the battery, and the battery dies. Now, fortunately, as the motor turns faster, the alternator puts out more power. When you're just normal slow driving, like in stop and go, the alternator may put out 75 amps. Now, at this point, 
there's no draw on the battery, but the battery's not being recharged either. So you have sort of a neutral state. The thing is, when you get to going just a little faster, when the engine picks up to around 2,000 RPM, now the alternator is producing 100 amps. It takes 75 amps to run the car, so you have an additional 25 amps. That goes back into the battery and recharges it. Now, when it recharges, it removes the sulfur from the plates. It goes back into the electrolyte. The battery's made like new again. The problem is, if you don't drive the car far enough or fast enough, for instance, if you're in stop-and-go traffic and you're only going three or four or five miles, and then you come home and the car sits all day or sits worse for a couple of days, the battery is discharging and it's never recharging. Now, this happens a lot to folks who just don't drive the car very much. A lot of people only put maybe two to three miles a day on the car, four or five, and that's in stop-and-go traffic. So the battery never completely recharges. What happens is over a period of time, the sulfur starts to build up on the plates, the plates become sulfated, the battery dies. This can happen in as little as a year's time, maybe even sooner in extreme cases. So a lot of times what is perceived as a bad battery or maybe a charging system problem is really just the habits of the driver, it's just not driving the car enough to keep the battery charged. So it's a good idea to drive the car at least an hour at least once a week. Anything less than that, and you're very likely to have charging system problems with the battery keep going dead. Now, if you just can't drive your car that much, it's a good idea to have your battery checked at the very first sign of a problem and then have it replaced as soon as possible. Because when a battery goes bad, the alternator is still trying to charge. It's trying to bring full power out of that battery. The battery is no longer capable of producing the electricity needed, so the alternator is working much, much harder. Now, this can result in a very expensive repair. Some alternators can cost as much as three to $500, and a discharged battery can cause the alternator to burn up. So if you don't drive your car a whole lot, you probably need to get the car in at least once a year, have the charging system checked, have the battery load tested, make sure it's still good. It wouldn't even be a bad idea, if you're real handy, to get a little charger and maybe put an additional charge in the battery, although that's kind of risky. If you overcharge the battery, you can actually do more harm than good, and you can also have problems trying to hook up the charge. Best yet is just to go ahead and drive the car a little more. Try to get at least one full hour of driving at highway speed at least once a week. That'll make your battery last a whole lot longer. Now, of course, in hot weather, like any chemical reaction, when you add heat, you speed up the chemical reaction. Batteries are killed during the summer. The high temperature kills the battery. Now, a lot of folks are going to be quick to point out, oh, yeah, the first cold day of winter is when my battery died. Well, the heat of the summer actually killed the battery. It just showed up in the cold. The heat kills it, but the cold shows it up. It was running at a very substandard rate, and when the cold temperatures hit, the demand was much larger. It just couldn't take it, and that's why it shows up in the cold weather. Most of the time at the shop, the first really cold day of winter, we just get a huge number of people coming in with dead batteries. The same thing in the summer. The first really hot day of summer, we get the same exact thing. A lot of people coming in with dead batteries. The point is, they didn't necessarily die right then. They were already in trouble. A good load test may have picked this up as much as weeks, maybe even months sooner, and avoided the problem of being broke down. So if you don't drive the car a whole lot, you're really going to need to stay on top of that, and that can make the battery last a whole lot longer for you. Of course, another thing that causes batteries to die prematurely, and that's vibration. If a battery is not properly secured in the car and shakes around and vibrates, it's going to really, really shorten the life of it. Those lead plates are sort of thin, and they're real close together. All that vibration causes them to touch, and when they touch, they short out. 
Once they short out, you've lost use of that cell, and the total voltage of the battery is reduced considerably. Of course, when that happens, all the other problems with the sulfation starts to take force, and that will kill the battery real quick. If you ever notice, every single battery is going to have some means that the manufacturer of the car employed to hold it down. Either a strap across the top of the battery, or like on General Motors cars, there's actually a little clamp with a bolt at the very bottom that holds on to a piece of the case that's designed for the purpose. Now, a lot of times when people change batteries, they may actually leave the hold down off. Perhaps the hold down was rusty or it got misplaced, just didn't get put back in the car, and the battery's just sitting there vibrating and shaking around. Now, not only is that very dangerous, because it can cause the battery to leak, and that is sulfuric acid. If that acid runs down onto your air conditioning lines or your transmission, it can actually eat it up, which costs you quite a bit of money. But at very, very least, what it's going to do is going to shorten the life of the battery. Now, of course, one other problem is when you accelerate heavily or hit the brakes and stop quickly, that battery could actually fall. It could fall into the fan where it could really do a considerable amount of damage. So you want to make absolutely sure that battery is properly secured. If you put gloves on and grab the battery, you shouldn't be able to move or shake it at all. It should be firmly anchored into the car. Now, another thing while we're talking about batteries is the cables that connect the battery to the car. Now, there's also a detailed topic on the website all about battery cables, and there's just lots and lots of information on battery cables. Battery cables tend to get corroded because the battery's leaking. The acid and the hydrogen gas produced by the battery tends to corrode the metal. Now, just cleaning that corrosion off is a very short-term fix at best. It's going to come back. Reason being, the battery is normally leaking, and that is a defect in a battery. Now, what that means is, if the battery is still under warranty, which most batteries do have a pretty long warranty on them, at least three to five years, many, many times you can have that battery replaced at low cost. Don't wait until the battery warranty runs out or until your battery goes dead, because then you're not going to get anything back. Worse still, don't ignore it, because if that acid gets in the wrong place, it can cost you a whole lot of money. Last thing is you don't want to take the battery cables when they get corroded and cut the ends off and put those little bolted-on ends on. The reason being, those have high resistance. When you start to put high resistance into a voltage flow, you actually lower the voltage in the system. Now, you're only starting out with 12 volts, so if you knock it down just a little bit, Something like two one-hundredths of a ohm of resistance can actually knock that voltage flow down as much as four volts at 200 amps draw, like for instance when you're cranking the car. That can be very, very damaging. It can cause problems you might not even imagine. For instance, if you don't have a good ground for the power to return back to the battery, it's going to find a source to ground. Now, that might be through the transmission of your car because the engine is sitting on rubber mounts. The electricity may flow through the transmission case, out through the drive axles, back to the suspension of the car. Those parts are not designed to carry electrical current, and that can damage it really, really quickly. We've had transmissions come in that were just completely burned up because of a bad ground cable. Perhaps someone had cut the cables, put the little clamp on ends. So those are definitely bad news. Pop on the website and look up the article on battery cables. It'll show you how a battery cable can be properly repaired. At ACO, we've actually got a machine that will crimp a factory end back onto the cable so we can repair them as good as new. Even in many cases, we can make heavier cables or add additional grounds if necessary. So pop on there and see what you think. That article's real good. may save you a whole lot of time and save you a whole lot of trouble. Of course, one more time, the way to get to that website is www.agcoauto.com. That's agcoauto.com. Pop on and see what you think. I think you'll really enjoy it. I'll tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. 
preceding was opinion based on my experience in the automotive industry. Have a great carnival weekend.